Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency me up, man. in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. USA, 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 Marcus, man, I know, I know you get fired up, man. You love the Olympics every bit as much as I do. You love when they come on. You love every sport that's a part of it like I do. There's just something about Olympians and the Olympic effort and the Olympics itself that is transformational in terms of motivation. What is it about the Olympics? Handsome pinnacle of human performance and it's the one team that no matter what what your favorite sport is we all get behind them you'd think it'd be the perfect way to settle uh conflict awesome right? if, if our athletes gold medal bragging rights instead of us strapping up and going doing oh, what we did i mean imagine that that would be great right <laughs> you gotta we have beef with another country wait to the olympics man we're gonna beat your ass our gymnasts are gonna walk all over you, you know, that kind of thing and then it was just and then it's but, settled, no, right? You, you looked at how proficient they were at all their skill sets, and like, man, I probably don't want to tangle or whatever. However, you wanted to deduce that, it just it should be that way. Right? Conflict no. resolution through athletics. Through athletics I love it, man. 
You want to beat each other up? We'll do it in the ring, right? But, well, uh, let's uh, let's take a different turn. Now, let's talk about the swimming, though. In terms of swimming, I mean, I know if you're anything like me or wizard like me, after you get out of teams, man, getting into swimming and doing that, it's like the farthest thing from your mind that you ever want to do. Right. Anything that anybody does for fun in the civilian world, we don't touch it once we get out. <laughs> That's the thing about I mean, the Sierra and land specialists, right? It's uh, We spend a lot of time. Uh, cultivating our lives in each one of those environments, water being the uh, <clears throat> the hardest to get to know. I love Dude, when I- somebody comes up and they're like, "Oh, I love diving. Diving's so much fun." Yeah, well, that's sport diving, I and mean, it's a little bit different than what we used to do. Just imagine closing closing your eyes the entire time, being freezing cold, and just being down there for hours at times. Oh, and that oh. changes the entire experience. Sure. Like 60 feet, 60 minutes, <laughs> water's blue and warm. Probably somebody, you know, a whole bunch of people looking at stuff, taking lobsters and spearfishes. Exactly. And then when it comes to frogman training and diving, exactly. Shut the lights off. We're going to be down here four to six hours just kicking her out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about everything. Yeah. You learn your alphabet backwards. You learn, you remember everybody you ever talked to in every country, trying to remember their phone numbers. I mean, you get in touch with, with the mind down there and uh, in, in the water because it's just you and, and her, right? And it, it humbles you and teaches you everything you need to know about yourself, I would imagine. And how about swimming, though? I remember when you'd get in and you'd get next to that 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 dude who like was the captain of their swim team in college or or in high school and like the pool my favorite my buddy who was one of the fastest guys in 207 right him and uh man they were the fastest guys by far like they beat everybody by 10 minutes and he'd always say to me he'd be like because he started swimming when he's a kid he'd be like dude going to the, the ctt that's like my time off and i'm like Oh! <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, hand it to the seal instructors to figure out a way to beat you while you're in the water. <laughs> I mean, what's, so that, but we, we had a guy for Hooyah PT. We would swim around Fort Island and Pearl Harbor, the, where the base was that actually got where the Arizona and everything. There's a little island out there, and there's a bridge over it. Now it used to be a ferry. But we're the only ones allowed to swim in there. And for a Hooyah PT, we'd swim around the island about three and a half miles. And you could either do it with fins or without I I did it with with fins one time, and one of our officers. Not only did he beat me, he beat everybody. <laughs> I mean, right? Damn. Yeah, dude. I mean, there there is a way to where you can get proficient in what because it holds you, and if you breathe right with the yeah. and you you know you press your buoy that whole nine yards, and it's just you get into that relaxed state. The more you tense up, the harder it is. Yeah. And, I mean, when you're so fluid into the water, it's counterintuitive, it's just, man. Where it's carrying you, yeah. you just kind of like swimming in space. Yeah, and they just go. Glad man, dude, it's just like what, what, and all those hours in in, in uh, PTRR. So we had you know go through the yep. uh, the decon. I took Melanie. We were at the Buds Compound the other day, and I was like, "You want to hear the most frightening noise ever <laughs> totally. ever developed on the planet? Totally. Listen to this." And I cranked that decon up because my room was right there, right next to the to the pipes. So anytime anybody was getting uh, haze, we were just like. You know, in the middle of the night, that thing cranking up, dude. I got chill, I chill bumps right now thinking about it. But when, when yeah, what, what this woman has accomplished in the water, the man. Pain, the pain, the, the, the application of pain and time and sacrifice. Man, I cannot wait 
to listen to how she talks about this. Absolutely. Most people think I'm going swimming. They go jump in the water and frolic around. And there's a different type of that working in the water. Oh, plus there were there's report like there were videos, man. I was watching where she's working out, you know, six to eight hours a day, two pools, doing weight work, doing plus they're eating. I mean, it's it's probably I mean, swimmers are so meticulous about everything. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite sports to to uh, pay attention to. She does this incredible thing called Kihara uh, resistance stretching where in her stretcher, she's actually contracting muscles to get the rotation on her joint. Yeah. It's just really brilliant. A lot of top athletes are doing it because it's that extra, it, as you create, uh, you, co- you know, the contractility ignites that extra little bit next to the joint is yeah. what really they say gets the elongation, which increases power, right? Sure. Yeah, that's perfect, too, because stretching in that capacity and bending itself, it's, um, if you do that fast, they get injured, right? right? So you're training your body to take that kind of offset. That's pretty brilliant, actually. that different than dynamic stretching? Uh, because there's physical pressure. So, like, her, the people who work out with her, they'll do an hour of what's called mashing. And they'll literally, with their feet and heels, they will activate all the blood flow and all the muscle tissue. Then two people at a time will, as she ignites her, her delt or shoulder, they're actually twisting and pulling to the max level where she's with right within that spectrum of going too far. And they will pull as she's pulling to get the extra additional stretch on. Uh, so it creates the additional elongation. Hmm. Yeah. And and they're like there's they stand on her when she stretches and push her down. So it's really amazing thing. There's a bunch of videos of her doing it on, on and it's really what she credits coming back in 2000 with as well too. This and it was brand new back then. So pretty amazing stuff. Well, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host David Rutt Rutherford with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, and. Ba-ba-bum. Bum, 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 the wizard. I think I'll just take the music out. That was, that was so harmonically beautiful. Hey, I'm getting better at it for sure. Listen, <laughs> we're so happy to have you here. If this is your first time, welcome. We're super fired up. You're going to love this show with Dara. I mean, one of the best Olympians of all time. If you're coming back for more, man, do we love you so much. Thank you for your support. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. If you want to listen to the show, then you can find all of our shows on our website at tnqpodcast.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, CastBox. We're streaming on Spotify and Stitcher. Pretty much every podcast platform there is out there. Uh, you can find us all over. Just just search for us on any search engine. If you can't find it, write in and tell us about it. We'll get on there. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, the merchandise is also available on the website. We've got hats and shirts, everything. And if you want to follow us, just uh, check us out on Instagram. The show is at TNQ Podcast. The team is at Team Never Quit, at Marcus Luttrell, at The Wizard TNQ, and I'm at Team Frog Logic. All right, Wizard, why don't you go ahead and, and read off uh, Dara's incredible bio? Yeah, Dara Torres. She um, is originally from Beverly Hills, California. 
She is an American former competitive swimmer who's a 12-time Olympic medalist and former world record holder in three events, total of six world records. Torres is the first swimmer to represent the United States in five Olympic Games. That's right, five, one, two, three, four, five, starting in 1984 all the way until 2008. That's a span of 24 years, and if that doesn't speak to you as being incredible, (laughs) I don't know what will. The last one was uh, when she was 41 years old. She became the oldest swimmer um, to earn a place on the U.S. Olympic team. Age is just a number. (laughs) She is also a mother, a model, a TV personality, and a motivational speaker. She started getting into swimming when she was very young. However, the, ver- the first particularly notable accomplishment she had was when she was 14, when she won the National Open Championship in the 50-yard freestyle by defeating uh, the then-current champion, who was a college junior, which is quite a feat, <laughs> right? 14, and she was a junior. junior. She, she was, what, 20, 21 years old? So she moves on, uh, swims for the University of Florida, where she wins nine South SEC individual competitions, individual championships, including the 50-yard freestyle and the 100 and the 200, the 100-yard in the 100 butterfly. She was also a member of six of the Gators NCAA championship relay teams down there. She graduated from the university there in 1990 with a degree in telecommunications. She moves on to, well, she begins her Olympic career in 1984. She, she was an 84-88-92, took a break, came back in 2000, took a break, came back again in 2008. So Torres has won 12 Olympic gold medals. That's four gold, four silver, four bronze. She's one of three women with the most Olympic women's swimming medals, along with fellow Americans Jenny Thompson and Natalie Coughlin. Torres has won five medals at the the 2000 Summer Olympics at the age of 33. And then in 2008, she won three silver medals at the age of 41. Um, and since, since her swimming career, she has really moved into an entrepreneurial capacity as well as she's a, a motivational speaker talking to everyone from major corporations down to school teams. Um, she is the a proud mother of her, of her daughter, Tessa Grace, and she has two books out there, Age is Just a Number, Achieve Your Dreams at Any Stage of Your Life, and Gold Medal Fitness, a revolutionary five-week program. Wow. I mean, that's... that's- I, how do you even how do you even wrap your mind around those <laughs> those accomplishments? I mean, that is one driven human being right there. Well, what do you say, Jets? Let's get this incredible Olympian, incredible performer, and just all around incredible human being on the show. Let's do it. Okay. Marcus, you know what I love? I love when we have guests on that have legitimately changed perspective. Changed perspective from uh, a whole different uh, arena of thinking, right? Where one for a long period of time, people might have thought there was only one way to do it. But when our guests, such as Diana Nyad or or Charlie Daniels or somebody else comes on and shatters the way people perceive the way something should be done, man, that gets me excited, brother. How about you? Absolutely. And the one thing that, that she's proficient at is, is the one there's the great equalizer, the, the water, right? And it's the one thing that you... If we, when we all go into it, first of all, we don't really belong there. And at any given time, they can give you life or snatch it away from you. 
And no matter how strong you think you are or how powerful you are, when you get into the water, it, 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 it kind of pulls everything out. And to see what her accomplishments were across the board and all the years that she's been doing this, man, is amazing because I spent a lot of time in the water. So to see the numbers and to see what she's done is just, man, I, I can't wait to, to hear the inside of this. Me too. So let's let's get her on. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Dara Torres. Ma'am, how are you today? I'm good. I love that intro. Thank you so much. I think I let you know ahead of time that I have a little hoarse voice. This is not, not the way I normally sound, but um, I wanted to talk to you guys anyway, so here I am. That's all right. You're coming across loud and clear. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, in my mind, all I think about is the fact that she's been going at a thousand miles an hour, traveling the world. Yeah. You're you're down in Mexico City right now, aren't you? Yes, I'm down in Mexico. I'm doing a little work and um, you know, a little play here and there. You got to do that when you work. So, um, you know, I have I have a great job. I I have so many things going on in my life and. Um, a lot of times I give speeches and they just take me all over the world. It's been wonderful. That, that's the one thing, Marcus, that you talk about all the time. There's the travel with the speaking. Yeah, that's part of it. And once you get that streamlined and get your battle rhythm down, I mean, I always you swam down to Mexico, right, to give a speech, swallow some salt water, so her voice is a little hoarse, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't go anywhere where there's sharks, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good decision right all there. Right, I signed up for that one, too, man. In my high school yearbook, it says my greatest fear was getting eaten by a shark, and I wound up being a frogman. So, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> that's the duality right confront your fears huh? that's it well, let's let's jump right into this before we get into really the reason why people come to the show and and that's your greatest never quit moment or moments we first got to limber up we got to warm up and as as a as a person that at, at a specific time in your life spent you know a good uh I don't know, four or five hours in Kihara uh, resistance stretching day in and day out. You know the critical aspect of getting limber and prepared for, you know, great competition and, and, and great challenges. But so let's jump in and get warmed up by what we call the mad minute. Now, these questions are going to be the most challenging, difficult questions you've ever faced in your entire career. So without further ado, are you prepared for the mad minute? I am, but am I allowed to take the fifth on, the fifth on any of them or no? <laughs> sure. You are allowed to pass. Do whatever you want. You can pass I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but let's do this. Deep, deep, Stand deep, by. deep. Right, Marcus, crazy. fire away. Okay, here we go. If coffee was illegal, what would its street name be? Ah, <laughs> uh, mud. I hate coffee. <laughs> mud. mud. <laughs> That's actually a good I one. I just see that. I've heard it called that before, actually. All right. <laughs> mud. All right, do you have a, uh, let me preface this one with a, do you have a pet? A dog, maybe? I have three dogs. All right, Perfect. Would you rather be able to speak in any language instantly or be able to have a conversation with your dog in English? <laughs> um, I'd rather be able to speak any language quickly. My dog is a good my hand signal, so I'm good with that. Sometimes you don't want to know what they're thinking, I think. You're right. When they're sitting there looking at you, I have uh, all your deepest exactly. secrets. Yeah. 
I have a lab. His name's Mr. Rigby. And I, about seven, seven years ago, he was sitting there giving me the look. And for whatever reason, there was a movie on with Christopher Walken. So I have always just kind of assimilated when he's looking at me, a Christopher Walken voice coming out. He's <laughs> 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 giving me that, that crazy look, man. But yeah, the, the language things are, that's a good one. Okay, here you go. If, uh, what I know your big goal orientation. So, what are your top three goals that you want to achieve in the next ten years? Dang, um, that's a good one. Um, let's see, top three. Uh, number one, to continue being the best mom that I can. Awesome. Number two, uh, take, take being entrepreneurial an entrepreneurial role to a bigger level. And number three, be able to give back <clears throat> into the sport more than what I am now. Oh, that's awesome. Those are, those are outstanding goals right there for sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What you got, bud? Yeah. Okay, if you could swim in any water anywhere on the earth for, for every morning, where would it be? That's a great question. The Seychelles. It's beautiful there. Uh, man. For, oh. I'm sorry about the hesitation in that answer. No, the Seychelles is good, man. We did it, Adrian. We were on the we were doing an R got stuck on a boat for like twenty seven days just looking at the Seychelles. We never got a chance to go in and tell. <laughs> Everybody always talked about how great it was. And we were rolled through there doing uh BBSS ops and they were like, Hey, there's the Seychelles. Yeah. Wait, wave at it. Oh my god, that's awesome. Oh my god, I've never been, but it just looks so beautiful. Oh, right. All right, what is your favorite memory from the past year? Um, let's see. Favorite memory from the past year. I think it was um, being able to take uh, my, my daughter and my stepkids, my husband, out to California and going to The Voice and letting them see. I grew up in Beverly Hills, so letting uh-huh. them see sort of where I grew up. And I mean, it's obviously much different now than it was uh, back then when I grew up there, but, um, just to be able to share sort of my upbringing with my family. Huh. That's cool. You That's live cool. on the other side of the country now. Is, is that right? I, I, well, I, I was in Massachusetts till August and then I, I moved back down to Florida. I couldn't deal with cold anymore. It's cold out there, man. Yeah. I, I live in Boca Raton, so I know what the draw is all about. Oh yeah. Yeah. My daughter goes to St. Andrews. Guess where I graduated from? <laughs> St. Andrews. Oh, St. Andrews. Really? That's so funny. Yeah, oh I graduated gosh. 1990. Yep, back Small in the world. day. And what's crazy and why I was, one of the reasons why I was so excited was when I was there, we're, our, our girls' uh, swim team uh, held uh, two American records, uh, in, uh, and they were high schoolers, and they were these incredible incredible athletes and back in it was like what it was 88 87 and man i just had such a fascination with swimming back then and then that's really where the my passion and and my appreciation for just the the sheer magnitude of time the sport requires it was insane you sure you weren't fascinated with the girls and not just the sport 
Uh, <laughs> That's how I learned how to why I learned how to play golf and tennis. And <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I saw no benefit in wrestling. I love it. All right, here you go. Uh, of all the other Olympic sports that you've been able to come to understand and appreciate, what are a few of the other sports that you believe really require uh, the magnitude of time uh, that swimming requires? And, 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 what, and why do you appreciate them so much? Well, um, you know, swimming is one of the few sports that's a year-round sport. But there are um, amateur sports also that are like that. So professional sports, you don't see year-round sports. They always have, like, seasons and stuff. They don't have that in, in a lot of the amateur sports. But swimming in particular, maybe we get a couple couple weeks off a year and that's it. So, um, so I'm always appreciative of those sports that kind of are in the same um, boat as swimming is, like track and field and gymnastics and, you know, any sport where you have to dedicate, you know, your entire life all the time to the sport, you know, I could obviously relate to. Um, one sport I've been fascinated with, and I don't know why, is curling. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I, I don't, I don't hmm. right? It's just something kind of like, and I, everybody know, I watches that when it's on. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's awesome. So I love that thing. Like, how do they know how much to sweep? And Man. I don't know. <laughs> so that's the one of the more fascinating sports to me. But I think um, I have a, a true appreciation for those sports that are, that are similar to swimming where they have to, train year-round and kind of give your whole life and dedication to that sport. Yeah, I, I just started working with the USTA and as a mental skills coach with them. And and those kids, you know, they're 13, 14 years old. They're just getting in, you know, they're moving towards their pro career. And they're playing, you know, they're playing in 15, 18 tournaments a year, all year round. And I'm like, my God, the dedication and sacrifice associated with you know getting to that next level is remarkable just the commitment level is so impressive for those young athletes yeah it's um it's it's really uh, i don't think people you know really i mean every time you get a olympics olympics they always do the stories and they show the training and all that and i think people get a little of an idea but i don't think they really know the ins and outs of, of what these athletes have to dedicate their life to to be the best that they can be now, now I want to I follow on a question of this. This is nothing, that I'm not, not saying anything negative about curling, but since you're an Olympian, I want to ask you this question. I've heard a fair amount of criticism over something like, well, curling is not a real sport. Why is that in the Olympics? So as an Olympian, what would, what would you answer to that question as obviously someone who appreciates it? You know, I, I don't think that um, sports is strictly about, you know, um, I see, how do I explain this for being politically correct? Um, it's, yeah, don't worry about that. Not on here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just, you know, athletic ability. It's, it's a lot of it's uh, mm -hmm. mental, it's uh, skills. And I think, um, you know, something like curling, I mean, that's, that's not easy. And there, I mean, you know, it's, it, um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's more of a skill um, that makes, curling so fascinating i think to so many people and um i don't i don't see why you know i don't know why people don't think it should be in the olympics olympic games i mean it's super popular and um it does take a lot of mental toughness and skill to be able to do that okay absolutely the amount of time you have to put into it the just like any and all all those sports the mental and and the physical part of it i mean 
to doing that in any capacity is and look how many people watch it and talk about it. It's people who he's like, oh, it's not a real sport. It's like, ah, oh, it's because you can't do it. <laughs> it's because it's too hard. Yeah, it's too hard right, for you, man. Right. All right, Marcus, fire away. Last question. Yeah, right. When we were in detention in school during the Olympics, not that I was ever in detention, we'd have the garbage can on wheels and be pushing it down the hallway and steal the brooms from the janitor and be in front of the swallow now. That's Texas curling. <laughs> Texas curling right there, the garbage can. <laughs> All right, if you could sing any song... As good as the artist who sings it, Super Bowl halftime. What song would it be? Oh, um, oh my gosh! I'm, I'm American Pie. <laughs> Great song. Oh, I, I don't. I don't think I, I don't. That's not necessarily a Super Bowl pick me up song, but if there was a song that was just something about his voice, and I just, I, I actually, I have it on my Instagram. I, I was lip syncing it yesterday when I was in the car. Something about that song I just love. That's normally, that's funny you say it, because that's huh. normally how I ask that. I was like, all right, what's the last song you were listening to in your car that you sat and listened to it till it ended before right. you turned out yeah, American Pie? That's a good well, song. Well, one of the things about songs like that is everybody can get in and join in, like Sweet Caroline at Sox <laughs> Games or wherever it is, and it just gets people excited about singing together. That's why I love uh, it. It does. Yeah, so Super Bowl would be perfect. It's not a pick-me-up, but it is. But also singing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't see like a lot of artists singing now, you know? So it's just, that's a real true song. Someone was, you know, Don McLean was singing. I think that's when I figured out that I had gotten old. You know, when my, when, when you have kids and they know the difference <laughs> between cool and uncool, that's when you're kind of uncool. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. I was, I was coaching the uh, combine guys, and, the, and they put one of their the new version of hip hop, I guess, is what it is. And I, I was one of them grumpy old dudes, like, "What is this? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this?" <laughs> hip hop's raps, like, "No, it ain't Snoop Dogg." Where you, you know, I got like, oh, rap. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> Your realization of what had happened to you collapsed yeah, immediately. Immediately right moment. in front of me, I'm uh, just not cool anymore. <laughs> Went over to the treadmill. Well, well, that is the mad 10 the minutes. We thank you so much for your, your contribution. Uh, but obviously, people are not coming to our podcast for uh, our, our humor as much as we like to believe. They're coming because we feel that they're all in the midst of a, a great struggle, a great never-quit moment, if you will. And so without further ado, would you please share your greatest never quit moment or moments? Um, let's see. Well, I think, <clears throat> I don't think I ever, you know, had a moment where I felt like I was just going to quit per se. I mean, I have retired a number of times because I thought I was done with the sport and want to just kind of move on my life. And then after the number of years I was out of the sport, I missed the sport so much and uh, wanted to get back in and fell back in love with it. So, but there was never, I, I think I would have to say if there was maybe the hardest or darkest time for me um, in my swimming career would probably be in college. Um, I came from um, some teams that really focused on sprint training when I was growing up. Uh, and I, I I'm, was a, a sprinter in swimming like the 50, which is the shortest event was my best event. Um, anything over a hundred, I would just sort of die in the race. So I was a, a true, true sprinter. And by the time I got to college, um, <laughs> I remember, um, we were doing, you guys know what sleds are? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, but 
Yeah, so if I explain it, if your audience doesn't understand, so they take these boxes, like wood boxes, and they put metal on the bottom of the boxes, and they put a pole in the middle of the top of the box, and the pole can hold any size weight. You know, most weights have holes in the middle because you put stack them onto things. So they put like a 45-pound weight on, on this um, little pole in the middle, and attached to the sled was a chain, and attached to the chain was a belt. So you put the belt on, they take you out to the, um, well, at Florida, it was, you know, the Gators, uh, ben, ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And we'd start at the one end zone, and we had to pour, like, at 90, 95-degree weather, the sleds with weights on the sleds across the football field. And I was, I am such a slow runner, and I'll never forget the assistant coach. Um, I was going along, and I was, like, last, and I was dying because I wasn't used to the humidity. We just, I just moved down to games in my freshman year. And I'd never done anything like this before. I mean, the only thing I would do is just swim and go to the weight room, and that was it. I mean, I never run stadium stairs or anything. So I have this sled on, and I'm like, I'm, you know, we did 100-yard sprints, which to me is not a sprint. But um, So we're pulling these sleds, and I'm always the last one. So the assistant coach finally calls out to me. He's like, hey, Dara, pretend this end zone is Rodeo Drive. You'll get here quicker. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I was, like, mortified that he said that. Um, but it actually made me go a little bit faster. Um, so that was like one moment when I know I just couldn't give up because I would have been too embarrassed if I just said, you know, forget you and walked off. Um, but I've also had moments, you know, when I got older, when I was training for 2008, I was so exhausted and I'd be sitting on my, my couch in my coach's office, just like wanting to go to sleep, but knew I still had to work out. And, um, what would, what would sort of pop in my head was the goal that I would set, set. I'm very much a goal-oriented mm-hmm. person. Even now that I've retired from swimming, I still set goals of things that I want to accomplish in my life. And so when I would sit on that couch or the alarm would go off in the morning and you're in your nice, warm, snuggly bed and, you know, you have to go into a cold pool at like 5.36 in the morning, you know, I just, what happens is that I, what pops in my head are the goals that I set. And I know that sitting on that couch or laying in that bed is not going to help me reach those goals. And that kind of motivates me to get out and, you know, go, go get those goals. That, that, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. One, right. one of the questions that, you know, when you talk about those, the, the, the differences of time there and, and, you know, being the incredible accomplishments you had at, 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 uh, university of at Florida, as well as the Olympics. One of the unique things that you really have is this evolution of perspective, from you know the eighty four at seventeen to forty one at oh eight, can you talk a little bit about uh, you know goal orientation from when you were a young uh, purpose entering in the you know the greatest stage in the world for swimming to the last time and how perspective changes? Yeah, you know it's funny. So obviously, I've been on this long sports journey. You know, my life with swimming and. Um, you know, being 17, it's funny, I was just talking to a group of girls um, from a team up in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was giving a little talk to them because I knew the coach and they were out in Florida. So I went over there on Friday and spoke to them. And, and I was talking about that. And I was talking about how, you know, when I was 17 and my first Olympics, I was just kind of this punk kid, you know, bouncing off the walls and kind of in awe of everyone else. Everyone else. I mean, like, you know, you're in the dorms and Michael Jordan's walking by and Mary Lou Retton and Carl Lewis and you're like, oh my God, you know, and almost sort of forgetting that you're there too. And um, so back then I, I really wasn't like super focused um, as, as an, uh, you know, Olympian. Um, I just was kind of 
like I said, some punk kid bouncing off the walls. I did notice, though, looking back on life, that I, I did set goals when I was younger, and that was, and I always sort of went off on my own, um, and I, no one told me to do this. It just was me. I'd put my back then Walkman on and, um, and go listen to mm-hmm. music and get ready for my race, how I always kind of did that, but, but I, I wasn't super appreciative, I think, at 17, um, you know, my first Olympic Games and stuff, and then when I fast forward through the years of, you know, so that was, what, 24 years between, you know, 84 and 2008, and, um, is that right, 24 years, I think so, <laughs> yeah, and, um, and so, um, you know, for, for me personally, uh, it, it, what I noticed when I was at, in the 08 Olympics is that, you know, I was 41 years old and, and I could, I could appreciate things so much more. I mean, I was mm. thanking the workers who all I spoke was Chinese and probably hadn't know like, what's this American saying to us. But I was like, Oh, thank you so much for working here and for volunteering. And, you know, and, and the kids are kind of, I see them and they're sort of in where I was at 17 bouncing off the walls. And I just had a very different perspective, um, I could really, really appreciate it. I had a daughter at home that was waiting for me to, you know, finish my journey there and get back to her. And, um, you know, she was only two and a half. And, and so I just, I, I really cherished and enjoyed every single moment that I was over from the minute I went to Olympic trials through training camp and at the Olympic games more than I ever had enjoyed anything in my life. I think because I knew it was probably going to be my last one and I just wanted to soak it all up. I was thinking at 17, that's the one thing in the uh, Olympics or and you call it a, you're sucked right into, the, that's a professional sport, man. You have automatically become a pro at, at, in our eyes. I mean, during the Olympics, everyone gathers around that, especially for the swimming, man, in every capacity. And it, it's kind of one of them deals where at 17, you want to be bouncing off the walls, right? And enjoy that and have, have a good time and, and remember those Olympic moments outside of the pool. And I think that's probably a hard, uh, hard thing to balance between having you know too much fun and staying focused as opposed to enjoying all of it. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that might be. Do they even t- talk about that with you guys when y'all are coming in at a young age, or is it just focus on this? Don't even concentrate on anything out uh, other than this. Yeah, but I think what happens is I think that um, you know there's 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 bouncing off the walls, and then there's like enjoying it. And I think that there's a little bit of a difference and they don't, you know, I was one of the younger ones. I think there was a 16 year old too, but, um, I definitely was one of the younger ones. And what ended up happening as a team captain at the time who I actually had broken her world record uh, a couple of years before that. And so I don't know why she would even do this, but she really kind of helps me and took me under her wings. And like, when I swam my, my prelim swim at, on the relay, I went almost two seconds slower than what I did. I went to trials, you know, to qualify for the race. And that was with a relay start, meaning like I could swing my arms and get a quicker start than a flat start, you know, at Olympic trials. And I went so slow. They were talking about not, because I was so nervous and sort of not in the moment. And they were talking about not having me swim the finals that night. And she she's the alternate who would have taken my place. And she just kind of took me under her wing and had me like watching soap operas. And I got to thank her for that because I got addicted to them. But so I watched soap <laughs> operas in the middle of the day and, and um, was, uh, you know, doing puzzles and just kind of keeping my mind off of everything because they were talking about not having me on the team and I didn't know what was going on. And she just really, you know, she was seven years older than me and just kind of took me in her wings and wanted to help me. And I think that really helped. They don't, you know, they, I think they do a much better job now of preparing you for what to expect. And they have psychologists and they have, and they didn't have that when, 
you know, on my first Olympic Games. So it was sort of a learning experience. But, you know, I look back on everything, and, yeah, I never won a gold medal in an individual event, but I do have 12 medals, and um, some of them are in individual events. And I feel like if I didn't experience the things that I did, I wouldn't have been in the sport for as long as I did. So, so the fact that, you know, maybe I didn't do as well as I did or, you know, it sort of kept motivating me to keep trying and trying. Well, you started moving into, um, I assume, you know, at that point when you were in the 2008, you know, there in Beijing, you were 41. So you would have moved into sort of a mentorship type uh, role at that point because two of your medals you won in the 4x100 relays, you know, freestyle and medley, those are team events. So can you talk a little bit about, I assume, you had moved into that role, the benefit of doing that, what you learned from it? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think that was one of the things that, you know, people ask, what is the most re- rewarding part of, of, of the Olympics, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I think everyone just assumes they're going to say what medal, what race, or maybe you met a great athlete or something like that. And for me, it really wasn't about that. <clears throat> it was, there were a couple of things that were most rewarding for me. Number one was uh, the journey that it took to get there in all the Olympics. I mean, each experience was different. Mm-hmm. It it sort of shaped who I am today, and I've had some, you know, majors up and downs. Like in one of my Olympic games, I was in '88. I was dealing with a really bad eating disorder, and you know, people say, "Well, then you wish that didn't happen." I said, "You know, actually, as hard as it was, you know, it again shaped me who I am today." But you know, with that being said, I, I think being able to be there for the uh, younger kids. I mean. I was 41. The youngest one was 15. A girl named Elizabeth Beisel, and um, you know, I know they were scared. And and if you know, I think at some point when they don't know you, they're a little intimidated to come up and talk to you. But that's the beauty of training camps. They usually have training camps between Olympic trials and the Olympic Games, and most times those training camps last five to six weeks, and so you really get to know everyone, and you really become a team unit, and you do team cheers, and you hang out, and you do team skits, and and it really kind of, you get the sense of unity because you have to remember that whatever event you're swimming, uh, the other U.S. person who made the team, you're always competing against them all year round, and now you're with them on a team, both were in USA, and so it's a very different um, experience being on the Olympic team and being with that person who you fought against all year to be there. And, um, you know, for me personally, just being able there to be there and be somewhat of a mentor, you know, I had a lot of kids come up to me and ask what to expect and, you know, what's the village like, what's it like, you know, at the Olympic pool and stuff like that. So to me, that was the other rewarding experience for me. I mean, obviously the medals are great, but it's, it's the journey is what's so special. I got a quick question. Just, mm, just yeah. curious. I mean, cause, cause the way swimming is, and you kind of alluded to this, it, you're competing against all of them throughout the year, then you become our team, America's team. Um, by the way, congratulations and great job yeah, on doing awesome. that, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> Good Lord. But the, the thing about it is, man, once your head goes in the water, your team can't fire you up anymore. It takes the, the voice away. So you automatically have to go to the voice in your head. Do you play out? I mean, when you hit that water, are you remembering what they said to you when they right before you went off the blocks? Or are you... You got a song in your head that propels you forward and, and that whole mental capacity so, under know, the water. The, um, you actually can hear some. I mean, I think in my events, you probably don't hear as much. The events like Katie Ozeki swims, which are the longer events, 
um, you can hear better because you're not splashing as much. My events are so quick and you're turning over so fast that there's a lot of splash and, and waves and stuff, so you can't quite hear, but you're not, you know, it's funny because you know they're there and you can feel them. Even if you can't hear them, you can feel your teammates cheering for you. You can feel the world cheering for you. So that, you know, is, is never really an issue, but, um, you know, everyone's different with how they prepare for whatever they're preparing for. You know, for me, it was my races. And um, my philosophy, now, mind you, everyone's different, and some people like to visualize. I'm not so much a visualization person because what happens is my mind starts messing with me, and I'm like, okay, I'm going off the block. Oh, God, I just drove her the wrong way. You know, I start, like, that's the way I start thinking. <laughs> so, for, so for me personally, what I like to do is I feel like if I do everything I'm supposed to do um, up to the point of standing up on that block, getting ready for my racing Olympic Games, there's really nothing else I can do. I just need to go out there and enjoy it and feel it and be in the moment because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Here's a perfect example. When I went to look at trials in 2008, I'm, I have very quick reactions. Um, I have actually, I've had my muscle fibers tested and I have 70% fast twitch muscle fibers, which most people don't. Hmm. And when I got tested with 150 athletes, it was only myself and Greg Luganis, an Olympic diver who had mm. uh, 70% fast twitch muscle fibers. Everyone else was under 50 so I am like a, a, a true, true sprinter. And when I, in 08, obviously being 41, I was a lot older. And um, my reaction off the blocks, like when the, when the beeper goes or the gun goes, you know, they, they catch you when, when your reaction, like right when you just like move. And I was always pretty fast in that, but I was one of the slowest ones off the block and the slowest ones to pop up um, to start your stroke. And so what oh. I did is I practiced my, when I found that out, um, they had a mock um, starting block that was almost the exact same as what was going to be at the Olympic Games, and they brought it to our training camp. And I practiced my start day after day after day trying to get that right. So by the time I got up on those starting blocks for the Olympic final, I didn't have to think. I just did. And, again, everyone's different, but for me personally, this is what worked for me um, to get ready for my races. If I, when I was younger and I started thinking about things and visualizing, it just messed me up in my head. That's seventy percent on the fast twitch. I mean, you definitely tells you you're built for a sprinter. There's a book called Source Code, and it talks yeah, about I, the muscle fibers and how that all. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, it's pretty ama- amazing in the way that it does. It, it is, and they tested about 150 athletes, and there were only two that were 70 percent faster. Muscle fiber. The problem is that my coaches, my stroke is very long and smooth, unlike most sprinters. Most sprinters just turn over really quick and try to get to the wall as fast as they can. But for me, it's all about pulling the water best I can underwater to get me to get me there. Um, but I, sometimes we'd have meets, like Rowdy Gaines hated playing video games with me because I was always so much faster in everything we did. Um, so I definitely had an advantage of my fast with muscle fibers. And what you said about, I mean, thanks for answering that question on about in your head too, because I do the same thing. And when I, if I, if I don't have anything else to replace the voice in my head, then all that voice does is telling me what I'm doing wrong. Right, and that kind of slows you down because exactly. right, you huh. you go to correct it, and you're like, all right, I, 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 I'm rolling over on this lane. So instead of swimming or pull, and that's another thing is instead of you trying to swim through the water, you need to pull the water past you, and and, and that whole fluid motion because the minute you tense up in the water, or something goes wrong in your head, and everything gets heavy. You get heavy, and then you're just you're actually pulling more yeah. weight than you weigh, and uh, it's the that's yep. the craziest dynamic about water. Thank you for answering that, Bowie. Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah, no problem. Very interesting. All right, let's let's switch gears a little bit now. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about 
you know, the, the, the arc of your career, the influence you had as a young swimmer, uh, the influence you had, uh, you know, when you're in your final Olympics. And I know you have a daughter. I have four daughters myself. And, and you, you, you talked a little bit about uh, an eating disorder. What kind of advice could you give young female athletes that are coming up in the ranks about imaging and, and how they see themselves and how it relates to the, the external pressures of professional athletics versus how you feel about yourself and, and how you look? I think the biggest thing is don't compare yourself to others. Everyone's built differently, um, and reality is not what you see in magazines. Everything's airbrushed. Everything's made to look thinner. You know, it's not what reality is, and unfortunately, a lot of these young girls see these magazines, see the, you know, Kendall Jenners and, you know, the really thin, thin girls, which some, you know, is genetic, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of it's photoshopped, and I think um, these young girls kind of get sucked into that and want to look just like that, and for me personally, my experience is a little bit different. I had a coach who um, who um, really wanted us to look intimidating on the starting block, and so then he started to weigh us to make to make sure we would lose weight because he thought if we looked lean and fit on the starting blocks, it would psych out our competitors, and that was sort of his philosophy, I guess. And so um, the whole kind of just kind of snowballed for me after that. And um, I think what I like to tell tell young girls is you have any thoughts of anything going through your head where you don't feel comfortable with yourself or if you feel like you're going to start binging and purging, just go talk to someone. The hardest part is that making that first step once you get stuck in that situation is talking about it or telling someone. Um, once you do that, then you're kind of over that big hurdle and you can go and get help. But um, it took me five years to admit it to anyone, and that was wow. the hardest thing. And then once I did, it was like, oh, wow, you know, why didn't I do this earlier? I could have gotten help. And, you know, and I think people also think that are going through this, that this is what I thought, is that people would be grossed out by it or would think very poorly of me. And at that point, you obviously your self-esteem is very low if you are involved in an eating disorder. So it's hard to kind of get out of that, you know, routine. But just go talk to someone because they can help guide you and, you know, get you the help that you need. Great answer. Yeah, I mean... I tell I th- I, when I talk to my daughter, man, like, hey, never let anybody's perception of you become your reality. You're in, in, with you yeah. and your capacity. I mean, you're a beautiful woman and, and, and exceptional at your sport. And it's funny, people, when they when they look at somebody who's ob- obtained everything that, that you have and the capacity that you have or uh, with anybody, actually, they think that, that the problems don't come with that, right? They're, they're just, it's just kind of like perfect in every realm. Well, man, all the good stuff, you got there's bad stuff that comes with it. And the more you push through it, it, it kind of propels you forward in, in, a, in a greater capacity. Or it'll swallow you up. And that's why it's incumbent right. to talk to people. And, and when, if you, if someone calls them, if it's your friend, then they need to tell you because that's what a real friend does. Right. It's not just not like an acquaintance or we're hanging out or you're letting somebody go through that because you're hoping you can get an upper hand at whatever it is you're about to go into. That's not how it works. I mean, it's we watch out for each other. It's a team. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, to go a l- little bit further into, into that question in that, you know, saying that, um, don't compare yourself to others. That might be a little easier said than done. I mean, particularly for a competitor who judges their performance in the world based on what other people are doing and they're ranking next to them. I mean, that's obviously great advice, but 
the vast majority of people fall into that trap, if they avoid that trap, what should they be, re- be replacing it with? What should they be focusing on instead? I think if, if they don't feel comfortable in themselves, then try to do something about it. Like, don't, like, again, like, I, I try to tell my daughter, like, everyone's built differently, you know? I mean, um, you know, I, I have a family of, there's six of us, and we all look so different and come from the same parents, you know? It's just, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you're dealt a hand of cards, and you just, you know, you do the best you can, and, um, you know, for the first time, my daughter actually got a treadmill the other day, and I was, like, shocked. She's 12, she sees me working out all the time and sees her dad working mm-hmm. out all the time and her step her step siblings working out all the time, you know, and she's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I never pushed her and it's just something that she, you know, kind of saw and thought, oh, you know what, maybe this would be good for me too. And, and she kind of initiated on her own and I, I never said, hey, you need to go do this, you need to do that or whatever. Um, but, you know, she mm-hmm. looks at magazines and stuff and, you know, I try to teach her like, like, you know, Tessa, this isn't reality. This isn't what, you know, life is sort of what you see around you, not what you see in magazines and on television. And, um, you know, you, and I, and I reiterate to her how beautiful she is and she has the most, the kindest, warmest, biggest heart of anyone I know. And I just, I love that. And that's what makes her so special. So there's always something that makes someone special. Um, it's not the same with everyone and it's not about your looks. Mm-hmm. So I try to get that across and, um, you know, people have to do what's best for them. I mean, when I wrote my fitness book, you know, the first thing everyone says to me is, Oh, am I going to look like that if I do this for five weeks? And I'm like, you're going to look the best that you can look, you know, after you do this for five weeks. And that's what's mm-hmm. most important. So that's kind of the message I try to you mm-hmm. know, get across is you got to do what's best for you to make you look the best that you can look. Well, that's the greatest huh. thing about us is our individuality. Bring that yeah. into the team, and you, be, you you become the team. We all drive similar cars and trucks, and what do we do? We put bumper stickers on them, hang something from the rearview mirror, usually the, the same general color, right, the base colors. Uh, but we right. we make it our own to our identifiers the same way when we mm-hmm. get dressed. I mean, when you're looking at the pictures in the, in the magazine, you're supposed to be looking at the clothes they're wearing, not exactly. I mean, it's the right, clothes exactly. and the no outfits one, that make like, them. Oh, yeah. Like, like, Right. If, if you go back and you're like, wait, what designer was that? You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it, right. It's like it's, it can get confusing in, in the whole midst of it, which, I mean, that's advertising, right? Uh, and if you're standing yeah. somewhere and everything's good with you and, you and you're not having any problems, you're happy with yourself, and then somebody walks up and then points something out, well, then that means they have a problem with it, not you. So, I, again, going back to that, never let anybody's perception of you become your reality because it will only drive you in the direction they're, you're going, or that they're going, not you. And um, that's why. Oh, that's yeah, great. that's exactly right. I mean, my, my daughter's in middle school right now has been dealing, has been dealing with that. So, um, you know, it's not easy, especially, you know, with middle school girls and stuff. It's just it's a hard age. And so I just have to kind of reiterate to her and make her feel better because a lot of girls bring them down. Especially in southeast Florida, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next question for you. Uh, We talk a lot about we have, you know, incredible performers. People have done just insane things. And we talk a lot about amongst ourselves in terms of the commitment level in order to become a seal and almost uh, where what you what you have to sacrifice, what you have to give up in your life in order to reach the pinnacle of what you what you do and the commitment a lot of, I think, people out there right now talk about this, uh, this sense of balance.
balance and how critical it, it is. But yet, every person I come across, and Marcus and the Wizard, we that are, have really achieved these insane levels, there's a little bit of an obsession involved in their commitment. Can you talk to that a little bit and whether or not you felt obsessed or you just felt driven and what the difference between those things is? Um, I think I definitely was more on the, on the driven side. Um, you have to remember when I was growing up, I grew up with four older brothers and um, I always had to beat them. I had to be the first one down at the dinner table. I had to be the first one in the car, sitting in the front seat. I, like, I always had to be first. And so that was sort of in me to begin with. Um, but obviously, you know, so there's a point where you're driven. There's a point of wanting to reach your goals. And um, I think I had a little bit of, of both of that. I think when I was younger, um, I, I was just one of these kids that had a lot of natural talent in the pool. Um, and I kind of took advantage of that. It didn't really work super hard. And I remember when I was like, you know, early teens and stuff, and I'd just win events, and it was just piece of cake easy. Then I just started to become a woman. My body changed, and then I realized I had to actually start, you know, training. And um, and then I wanted it, and I always wanted to do more than everyone else. Um, that's just, I think, a part of who I was. But I knew if I just didn't do more than other people, then I wouldn't be the best that I could be, and I I, I wouldn't be the most prepared. And so I, I think, you know, it's hard to teach drive to to people. I think it's either in you or not. And I've seen a lot of athletes where um, they don't have the natural talent, but they work so, so hard. And then you see other athletes that have the natural talent and just kind of, you know, use that and not um, not use use those skills but not do the work to put in um, that they need to do. And so there's a lot of different types out there. Um, like I said, I don't think you need to teach drive, but you can teach setting goals. You can teach, you know, how to work hard and stuff like that, and hopefully it just all kind of comes together. I think with the obsession thing, it's I always broke it down with obsession and love. So if you if you're obsessed in something, you want it, you want to be around it all the time, and you want it right now, you want to be good at it, and and you just force it, right? You kind of force yourself into you'll burn yourself out in training to try to obtain the the overall goal in that capacity. But with love and it, with anything like if you if when you fall in love with it first, you meet it and you get to know it, and then you hang around it, and then. When you when you start to from the like to the love, and then you if you treat it like that, and you know it'll love you back. You know it'll give you as much as you put in, and if you take too much from it, then it'll it'll burn your ass. It's kind of like it's getting addicted to it, and that way when you when you don't have it and it doesn't turn out the way you want it, and uh, man, I think it, yeah, it I contributes mean, to I'm, burnout. Yeah, I think it does, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I never got out of the sport and thought, okay, I'm going to just wait like seven years and I'm going to come back and do this again. Like, when I was done, I was done because I just I had enough and I was tired and I knew that I would just be going through the motions and not actually putting everything in that I need to put in. And so um, then when I decided to come back, it was always because I missed the sport so much and I loved the sport so much. And so there was a big difference with my comebacks. Um, you know, some people come back because that's all they know in their life because all they've done is trained for that, you know, one sport. But for me, I just truly miss the sport. And I think that's one of the reasons why I did so well is because I just had that love and passion, you know, for the sport. And you guys a couple of times have talked about, like, making sacrifices. And, I mean, are we, like, you know, you're, I guess in other people's eyes we're making sacrifices because we're not, like, 
going to the school dances, you know, because we have swimming from the, on the weekend or whatever it may be. But then again, I'm going to France at 14 years old and, and Germany, uh, you know, to swim in meets. I'm learning about different cultures and, you know, I'm getting to meet the best athletes in the world and compete, compete against the best athletes in the world. So, yeah, you do make sacrifices, but I think as an athlete, you don't look at it that way as a sacrifice. I think people from the outside looking in think they're sacrifices. Uh, no, absolutely. Mm. It's not sacrifice if mm. you love it because you're going to hang out with what you love. Yeah. That's the dance. Now you're, right. I am, you are going to the dance. It's in France, and we're, you know, we're about to, it's on. So it, it, it is. It's, it's, and we talked about that. It's just the capacity in which that person's judging you from, what, what they do. That's, it'd be a sacrifice for them, not for you. Yeah, sacrifice for that passion. Right. Um, you, I have a question about, was there ever, because you took two breaks in your career here, you know, you were in the 84, 88, 92 and you, in Olympics, and then you took off in 96, you came back in 2000, took another break, and then you came back in 2008. When you were con- contemplating coming back in 2000 and then in 2008, did you deal with any fear or trepidation about the performance in saying, well, you know, particularly in 2008, where you could look back at all the medals you've won, there's a legacy there, you have a reputation and a name that was established. Were you ever concerned about, if I come back and I can't perform, am I going to make myself look like a fool? And if so, how did you handle that or deal with it? Okay, well, I think they both were different scenarios. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in, um, in 2000, when I stopped swimming after the 92 Olympics, I, I didn't touch, I literally did not touch a pool. Um, I, you know, maybe I jumped in to cool off from being in the sun, but that was it. I never did one lap. I remember my dad even saying, why don't you swim a couple laps? Like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, maybe at like a 95. <laughs> no, I'm good. Never did it. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need to. And, um, but then about 11 months before Olympic trials in, in 2000, I, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but I basically got the, the itch again and moved out to Palo Alto to train with one of the best coaches in the world, Richard Quick, who's really good at dealing with older athletes. And, you know, for me, it, I didn't know what to expect because I had, I had not swum at all. I mean, I, I worked out, so I was in shape, and I, I never touched the water. So would it be like riding a bike, and I, it would just come right back uh-huh. to me? Did I have muscle memory? Like, I had no idea. But it didn't really matter because at that point in time, I don't think anyone expected anything from me. Um, I don't even know how long until people knew I was actually swimming. So I thought, okay, if this doesn't go well the first three months, I'm just going to like, you know, quietly go back to New York and get, re- resume my career. And so that mm-hmm. I didn't really have a lot of fear. Um, I think in 08, it was different because, um, I was swimming for exercise while I was pregnant with my daughter because I was always, so, I had some really bad pregnancy and was always so sick that if I try to go to the gym, I would just get sick in the gym and I just figure out, oh, mm-hmm. go to the pool, get sick in the gutter. No one's looking, keep going, no big deal. And so <laughs> I, that's why I kind of got back in the, in the pool again, um, was just because it, it made me feel good when I was pregnant with my daughter. It just, it moved her around. She wasn't like hitting my ribs so much just when I was on land and just, just easier. So, but I had no intentions of ever getting back and, and swimming again. It was just really for exercise. I had my daughter and sort of move on. But when I, about a couple months later, when I went to another meet, um, after having her just for fun and happened to call for trials, um, I had so many people coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, it'd be great to see you swimming with the games. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do it. And so it wasn't like a light bulb went off in my head. It was just sort of peer pressure of these master swimmers coming up to me and saying that I should swim. And when I got back to Florida after this meet, um, I turned to my, my daughter's dad and I was like, oh, what did I just say I was going to do? And he was like, 
sitting on the train again for Olympics. I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, oh, you know, and, and I love challenges. So I'm like, did I have any idea? I didn't know. I mean, I had hundreds of thoughts going through my head for about like two days. Like, can my shoulders hold up? What about my body? Can I even do what the kids are doing? I'm, I'm almost in my 40s. Like, can I recover? And I mean, there were so many questions I had. And I let all those questions just kind of like go on in my head for a little while. And after two days, it's like, all right, I'm doing this. And all those questions kind of went away. And I just thought about one thing, and that was winning a gold medal. Whether it was feasible or not, whether I could even like be ranked in the world, I had no idea. But I just, I had that in my head that I was going to win a gold medal. And then I started my journey for those Olympic Games. So it was just pursuit of, of, you know, going after this challenge then, for the, at least in 2008. Can I overcome this? Can I achieve this again? You know, it, um, uh, I, I, I didn't really, I mean, I think I had so many bad thoughts in my head the first two days that it just, um, I don't know. I, I, and once I got like all those thoughts out of my head, I'm like, you know what, why am I asking myself all these questions? I'm not going to know unless I actually try it. And I remember going to, um, meet with uh-huh. Mike Bloomberg because I had met him, um, years before when we were trying to get, I lived in New York and we were trying to get the Olympics to New York for 2012 and we were on the same committee to do that. And I had, I had you know, kept in touch with him. I thought, well, you know, I need a sponsor. Maybe I was going to like, talk to him and see if he'd sponsor me. So I went and had lunch with him and brought my daughter and stuff. And, um, as we were talking, I thought, come on, Gary, just got to ask him. And he's just like a no BS kind of guy. He just, you know, gets to the point. And but now we're like on dessert and I'm like, I can still have not passed to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so finally I just, I ate my dessert and I looked at them and I'm like, okay, well, actually, I have something to ask you. He's like, yeah, I figured. And I said, you know, I'm I'm thinking about making um, a comeback and I would really love it if you would sponsor me. And the first words out of his mouth were, aren't you too old? And when he said that, that like resonated throughout my entire comeback because I used that as fuel, as fire um, to show that I wasn't too old. And that was kind of like an inspiring thing for me. It's like, I'm so glad that you said that to me because I just, anything mm-hmm. that anyone would say negative during my experience in those almost two years I was training for OE, I just use as fuel. And I think, again, being older, that maturity sort of helped me deal with that. With that. Huh. Yeah, that can be powerful for sure. Well, it's a testament to how proficient you are at the sport. I mean, with, with us, let me tell you something. Anything you do for fun as a civilian, if the military gets a hold of it, you'll never do it again for the rest of your life. <laughs> all right. So our whole life, we were yeah. on the beach, in the water, in <laughs> the air. And, yeah. the water. So... <laughs> We came out of there. I, I got married. I, my wife, she loves going to the beach. And I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, let's go to the beach again. I was like, when we get home, let's go do some paperwork, right? That's kind of the same same deal. And when, when you step away from it, you do. You, you step away from it, and you, you still appreciate it. Remember the good good memories and the bad memories. But in stepping back into right. it, that it's it's not an age and years it's age and experience and when when you looked at it like you did when man like you talk about my age which first you shouldn't do to a lady i'm gonna throw this in you i'm gonna swim it down your throat right <laughs> check this out hardcore as our mind is man it's uh that's something that that you can operate on that on that level that's awesome mm-hmm. thank you all right, as we wrap this up, finally, you know, I just want to get some advice from you. Now, I went on, I was checking out your Twitter feed, and you tweeted recently, you go, at my daughter's first lax tournament, and the parents are just ridic. It's a game, people. Let the girls play and enjoy watching instead of yelling at the kids and refs and acting like you know it all with an angry face out of that. What? What advice can you give to 
family members or teammates or people that are in people's lives that are moving into sport where people are starting to get ahead and they're starting to separate themselves. What type of support do they need to make it to the next level? Well, you know, I think it's always important to, uh, to have support from your family and friends for sure. It's just, you don't want embarrassing support, you know? <laughs> and um, I was at her tournament yesterday, and we have one of the, uh, the father's tournaments, like, God, you're very quiet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just want to watch and, you know, make, you know, make sure she's doing okay while the other parents are going, like, crazy. Um, but, you know, the support you need is, is you know, I, I tell kids that, um, you know, coaches can be very supportive. And, you know, I've really learned um, from some of the best coaches in the world, and I've really imported that to my own life, you know, especially now that I'm, I'm going into business and, um, you know, I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. I, I own a bar method studio in, in Massachusetts in Wellesley, and I'm doing a lot of mo- motivational talks. And I've learned a lot from my coaches, and I really try to tell, you know, young kids. In fact, the, the group I was talking to on Friday, uh, you know, I say, communicate, like communicate with your coaches, like talk to them. Don't be intimidated by them. If they're telling you to do something and you don't understand it, then go and talk to them. And, you know, you have the support of your coach and you have to remember like your, you know, your kids or me, myself, like are with your coaches all the time. And they're almost sort of like a father, older brother sort of figure, you know, and you have to be able to rely on them. And so um, having this support from your coach, I think is one of the most important things because, they're there training you. They're there, you know, having a faith in you. You have to buy into what, you know, they are doing and what they're saying. And if you have questions, make sure you communicate with them and, and um, you know, talk with them. I think a lot of athletes are intimidated to go talk to their coaches when either something's going on or they don't understand something or whatever the, the issue is. But, uh, you know, like I said, I've learned from some of the best in the world and, and what I've learned from them, I really kind of trickle out into other aspects of my life and I'm so appreciative of that but you also want family and and friends there to support you but you know if they're doing not a good job of supporting you or being too loud or embarrassing you talk to them and tell them you know don't be shy that is outstanding advice communication man that that's the essence of of all success yeah well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. But before we go, you, you're talking about your entrepreneurial spirit coming to fruition, all the different things. Can you let our listeners know what you got going on? Tell, talk about your books, where they can buy them, and where they can follow you. Okay, well, um, I, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram, which is at SwimDara, and I'm on Twitter at Dara Taurus, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and then, um, so... For me, like, so I, I, I have a couple of different things going. I'm, I'm obviously a motivational speaker, which, again, I, I speak for free to kids, you know, um, with, you know, on some teams or high schools or whatever, which I really love doing. Like, I get, you know, coaches and parents asking me to do that. But I also am a motivational speaker for, you know, big uh, fortune companies. And, you know, recently I spoke with Hewlett Packard or the Fortune, Hewlett Packard Enterprises or the Fortune 100, you know, company. And it just, it all varies. And I love doing that. Um, the bar method, which I uh, bought into up in Massachusetts, um, I enjoy because I became a certified instructor, which took about six months to do. And now I can kind of give back and, and be an instructor. I'm also on the board of Princess Charlene's Drowning Prevention um, uh, Charity Program that I'm uh, really enjoying doing and trying to, you know, get so 
you know, drowning prevention is, is just a big, you know, um, a big thing that needs to, ha- to happen more in, in this world. And there's too many kids and adults drowning, which really doesn't have to happen. So trying to get more mm. um, people to learn how to swim. And so I just have, I have a lot, you know, going on that I'm really enjoying. And I have two books that I've written. Uh, one's a memoir that I wrote after 2008, which kind of goes through my, my life of, it starts at the 50 freestyle at the Olympic Games and kind of backtracks in my life and then ends back at the 50 freestyle and what happens. And then I also wrote a, um, a, goal, uh, a book called Gold Medal Fitness, which, uh, you know, a lot of people are asking me, you know, how do you look like you look? What do you put in your body? And so we have a five-week program of my training and what I ate and the Kihara stretching I did and stuff. So that's been fun. Those are all on Amazon. And, you know, I'm just um, enjoying life and hoping to uh, hopefully at some point also get into the supplement and nutrition business too. So I have a lot going on and still a lot of dreams in my head and a lot of goals that I've set. So, you know, it's just like another another chapter of my life, but in a different um, aspect, I guess you can say. Awesome. Fantastic. That is absolutely incredible. We're so privileged and uh, honored that you would take time out of your in- insane squa- schedule and come on and share with our listeners and with us. Uh, in f- on a personal note, uh, as as an athlete my whole life, too, and you know, just watching what you were able to accomplish in, uh, for our country uh, really makes me proud uh, and just wanted to thank you so much. Yeah, it was an honor to watch you in the you know, pool to PowerPoint, right? Now she's getting motivational speech. I mean, you can even write this stuff down. Boy, it's amazing. It was, it was, a, it was a joy to watch you in the pool. And when you stepped away and you came back, I mean, that motivation in itself and the fact that you're passing that down to the kids, you know, when the, when the teacher's ready, the students will appear. And that's kind of what's happening to to you and to us as well. And it's, um, man, just the overall water concept because I'm the slowest. It's it's a well-known fact that I'm the slowest Navy SEAL ever. and uh, <laughs> But I spent a lot of time in the water. I can move there and just that relation um with you on that and seeing how how proficient you are in the water, man, that's that's a testament to the to your athletic ability as well. So thank you so much for for all the uh, the perspective and, and knowledge you dropped on us today. Well, thank you and thank you guys so much. I'm honored that you had me on. It was my pleasure, and I really really enjoyed talking to you. And I wish you all you know happy holidays uh, to you and your family and healthy happy holidays to you and your families. Thank you. Thank you. Go swimming. We'll we'll see you around SA in the future. Take care and God bless. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, Marcus. When you look at the power and the, the effort it makes to get into the Olympics, the dedication, the sacrifice... Uh, the drive as 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 Dara talks about it, man. But you look at her career, and she says she started swimming at seven years old, and her professional career stopped at 41. And those five Olympic appearances, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. I mean, for me, it's like you think about those crazy master chiefs, right? Or, or I'll give you the example was was this guy uh, who was, held a big position in Naval Special Warfare, got out, I got out, I started contracting uh, for the agency, and I ran into him downrange, right, working for this one group, 
where and he was in his late fifties, man, still out there, still humping the cush. Uh, and I'm like, how does a person do it? And it's it's hard just to go get tickets to go watch the Olympics, much less compete <laughs> in them. You know what I'm talking about? And it, a lot of people put all that because it's we, we talked about a little bit the the before the Olympics part. Yeah, I mean, and just and with the fighters, you talked about walking into the into the ring well they, man they got to do that multiple times in that swimming capacity and that man that's just something it, it's that whole obsession to love and wisdom too right to put it together and, and exactly man after a while once you know how to your in the younger swimmer you still learn how your your body works in the water and then in the water next to somebody else after you have done that and i'm not talking about just swimming the laps that's that's you in the water, man. I'm talking about the competition part. Yes. Multiple times against multiple people, seeing, getting that emotion, and finally figuring out. I never got used to jumping out of airplanes. All right. I think <laughs> Who does? <that's>, right. <laughs> and I think if you if you get to the point to where you're on the box or you're fixing to do something and it's okay, and it's like you don't have that rush you had the first time you got in. Yeah. I don't think you can hold the bubble that long. I think you kind of something will happen. You'll miss something. And for her to keep coming, to step back into that, man, man. I just kept thinking, <laughs> you know, you get some of the masters or the chiefs come back in or or the younger guys. No, the younger guys try to do that. They'll punch you out for four years and come yeah. back in. Every now yeah. and again, you'll see somebody with some khakis on try to come back in. And it's not that easy. No, no. And you got the mentality, but the the body part needs to, to drag. Change everything, right? yeah. She tells, and, and I, when I went back and I was watching, I mean, she's got a gazillion interview videos out there. And one of the ones she talks and about how in the 08 games, you know, she goes in and she's in the waiting room before the event and she's looking around and the, 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 her number one competition looks like she's going to be sick. So she's like, all right, I'm at least better than, you know, I can place in the top 10. Then she looks over and the second one is sheet white and nervous as hell. She's like, all right, I'm in the top six. And just for her experience alone gave her the edge and mm-hmm. it's the difference between the new guy and the guy that's been around. Now, Wizard, you, you, you know, you've been around. You're still out there doing it. What do you notice the differences between the, the young people that are just starting out and people that have been doing the job forever? Well, I think um, there's similarities certainly in what she talked about in, in her experience, looking at the younger competitors versus her, and as she was talking about that as her as an, a, an older athlete, more mature and experienced, I couldn't help but think about going, you know, stepping off a bird or, you know, launching out on some mission and being with guys that had early in my huge, career. It? And looking huge. at those guys that are, that are stepping out there with you who have been there and done that and the massive amount of confidence that that imbues in you. And if you were to eliminate, take those guys off of that op, just how different, um, how dramatically that would change your your confidence, your outlook, your approach to what you were doing. Um, so when she was telling telling that, that really you know hit home with me of, of just how powerful experience can be, and how unfortunately it can be overshadowed by you know just the excitement of youth and and all this. But we should never underestimate the the power of wisdom and experience. That's a perfect thing to tell a new guy, too. I mean, no matter how hard the cheese coming down on you, whatever you think of him, when we step out into it, who's the first, who's leading you out there? Right. Right. None of us would do any of the stuff that we do if there wasn't a dude there who had done it before. 
No way. You think you've got some real bright idea, but yeah. if that other guy doesn't back that up, you're like, okay, maybe it's not a good idea. Like, man, how come everybody who's been doing this isn't on board with this? <laughs> the, power, yeah, like, the power of his totally. experience is just... The power of hers, right? And then when she comes to those relays, you got somebody in there who's, who does it, oh, how right. she does it now. That in itself, you got a leader like right. that. Like, all right, hold, hold on, guys. Let me check this out. And then she just passed that down. That Massive. Yeah, I I had learned that lesson. That that was probably, and that was a defining moment for me. I think when in Ramadi when we went back that first stop, we got caved on, and I I took that knee, and I was like, man, what in the hell am I doing here? What am I doing back here? Can you believe this? I finally I was like, all right, let's go. Get up, made the call, and then I went around after the op to all my new guys. Been the first first stop, we we got into something. And I was like, hey, you guys doing all right? And they're like, yeah, man, I was worried, but I looked up there, and you were calm and cool looking around, and you made the call and got us out of there. I was like, keep thinking that, brother. Yeah, because it was a duck on a pond. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect illustration at that point. One of the things I love so much about the way she talked about it all is she never once gives you the impression that this was abnormal. That there, that you know, she wasn't in the place she wanted to be. Whether it was, you know, taking the time off where she completely stopped swimming, or coming back after she had her, you know, her child. But it was always the right time, making the right decision, doing what she loved, which was to compete. And I think that goes to show that when you make a dedicated decision about anything that you're going to try, attempt or immerse yourself in, you got to be prepared for what comes along with it, right? Sure. Follow your heart, too. I think if you stay in something long enough, and we kind of got into that a little bit, and we hang on too long, and those are the guys that in their career are doing something, they go out the wrong way, right? But if you love the sport, and like she did, and she didn't have any problems, I stepped away from it, I stepped away from it, and I take that break, get refreshed, and all of a sudden, it'll drag you back into it. The love of that will, and it's mm-hmm. what you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, she said she's her fastest muscles fire is seventy percent faster, or on, uh, on seventy. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's massive. <laughs> so that is, she is absolutely a sprinter for sure. She has she has done that so many times that her muscles have have, have fired around. That's, well, that also lets you know she put the work in. Yeah, I mean, she developed that muscle from the time she first started. Seven years changing old. Seven Man, years I still old. Learn how to get dressed. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to make my own breakfast. Right? <laughs> Here she is competing every weekend. Now, uh, yeah, I was still putting Cheerios on a plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do that. But, but Dude, the, well, I, I, the, the other one is 17. <laughs> you know, at 17, man, I'd crumble on a, on the, taking the, the SAT. Here she is competing in the biggest stage in uh, the world, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. The SAT was a, oh, that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Well. You ever do that? <laughs> I don't know why I thought of it. I did that one time. I pulled it. I thought it was a ball. When you, it's definitely not a ball when the milk hits it. Right? Just, no. What, you don't right do this on. in junior high? Yeah, it's, uh, what is it? <laughs> don't go to the bathroom on a flat rock. Same principle. <laughs> Well, if this is your first show, listen, thank you so much. If you're a big fan of uh, Dara, well, welcome to our team. Hopefully you've learned a lot about why it is what we do. If you're coming back for more, thank you so much. Without you, uh, we wouldn't be able to do this. We want to thank our partner and and really just uh, our teammate and, and our growth here now, the Westwood One Podcast Network. We're so privileged and happy to be a part of that family. Thank and you guys a lot, man. That, that- that was cool. We worked hard 
got a part of that one. Huge, man, huge. If you want to know more about what it is and who it is we interview, just visit the website at tnqpodcast.com. Uh, you can download all the shows there, or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, CastBox. We're on Spotify or Stitcher. Pretty much every podcast platform there is. Uh, don't forget to visit our, our merchandise section of the webpage. We've got hats and shirts, all kinds of cool swag. And you can follow us uh, on Instagram. The show is at TNQ Podcast. The team is at Team Never Quit at Marcus Luttrell, at the Wizard TNQ, and I am at Team Frog Logic. Well, man, I just want to thank, you know, Dara for coming on with us, you know, and to have, you know, somebody who really is one of the greatest of all time. I always shake my head in disbelief that we're we're loud, we, that we're actually getting them on to share their message and story with our, our incredible listeners. I'm just so appreciative to her, uh, for coming on. I want to thank our listeners. Without y'all, we wouldn't be here. I want to thank God and Christ, my children. I want to thank Jonna. Uh, thank y'all. And just, man, I'm thankful all the way around. We've had some amazing guests. They're all amazing. But our Olympians, man, when they come on and teach you something about yourself, it's that purest form of getting, <laughs> getting good and then getting good with a team. I mean, the respect I have for people who are proficient in the water, man, because I know how hard that is just sitting in it. And it's, uh, it, it was, it was a great pleasure to have, enjoy to have you on here and listen to you talk. I hope that you, uh, you know, feel better. <laughs> but thanks to all of you guys for keep coming back and listening to us and allowing us to do this and be together and, and uh, hear these fantastic stories, man. They're all great. Even the, the never quit moments or would identify them as being our most special countrymen. And thank y'all for let, letting us do that. And the Holy Family, thank you for putting us down here. And my family, thanks for letting us uh, hang out in the house and enjoy every bit of this. I'd, uh, it's truly a, a blessing gift. Thank you. I'm out. I'm out. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.